Good morning, Washera Community Church. It's so glad to be with you uh, worshiping together this morning. Uh, as you might be able to see over my shoulder, uh, we're doing things a little bit different this week. Uh, we're not going to be outside, uh, but rather the tech desk was torn apart this week so we could rebuild it. We're making it a little bit longer, uh, just making room for all of the uh, devices slash people we need to be up there. And we're just kind of crammed together. Uh, and we just want to expand that and make it uh, a good space for everyone to be comfortable and safe. And so we're in the middle of that project right now. It should be finished uh, two Mondays from now. So we'll probably have one more week like this, uh, but hopefully uh, you get why we're doing that and that makes sense to you. Uh, we have just a few announcements. We'll read our call to worship. Uh, we're going to sing a song together. Uh, you'll hear the message from Pastor Adam. Uh, and then we'll sing one more song together after that. And that's what this morning will look like together. And so, I'll, uh, again, glad to be with you this morning. And here are a few announcements. Uh, first of all, uh, Keepers of the Faith concert will be on the 23rd. And so we invite you to come out and be a part of that concert. Uh, they have been kind of a staple in our church over the years. Uh, and they bring this unique uh, gospel music to our church that we get to enjoy every uh, couple of years. Uh, and obviously it's been a while because of COVID. And so they said they were going to be coming through and we invited them back in. So we encourage you to be there. Uh, I believe it's Tuesday, the 23rd, uh, the Keepers of the Faith concert. So make room on your schedule and uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Um, and lastly, for this week, uh, there will be a Gospel of Luke Bible study. So the book of Luke will be starting up again in September on the 7th at 6.40 p.m. Uh, and Pastor Robert's just asking that you sign up in the lobby. So he has a rough estimate of who's going to be there and how many tables should be out for that. Uh, but that is an invitation to the whole WCC family. Uh, if you want to grow deeper in the word with Pastor Robert, we're going to be taking a look at the book of Luke. And so we hope to see you there as well. This morning's psalm is Psalm 33. We're going to be reading 12 through 16 and 20 to 22. Psalm 33, if you want to open up your Bibles, 12 through 16 and 20 to 22. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. Happy the people he has chosen to be his own. The Lord looks down from heaven and beholds all the people in the world. From where he sits enthroned, he turns his gaze on all who dwell on the earth. He fashions all the hearts of them and understands all their works. There is no king that can be saved by a mighty army. A strong man is not delivered by his great strength. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Indeed, our heart rejoices with him. For his holy name, we put our trust. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us as we have put our trust in you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this morning that we might uh, have a place to gather together in your name, to give you glory and honor and praise as one body of your people. And this morning, we might be spread apart. We might be in different places. We might be watching online. Uh, but Father, would you bless us just the same this morning as we lift our voices in praise of you, uh, as we bless your holy name, uh, as we come before you. May we see more of you through your word. May we draw near to you uh, because of the word that you've given to us. 
Uh, may you be glorified in all we do and say today and tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after that. Uh, and Lord, uh, would you just reveal yourself that we might go out and make disciples wherever we are, uh, that we would see the places that you have carved out for us uh, ahead of time, that we might do those good works you've called us to. We praise you and we thank you and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks again for joining us this morning. We're going to go ahead and sing together. See you soon. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. I can see I am
So good morning, WCC. Uh, good to meet with you this way this morning. And I have a few announcements before I get started with the sermon. The first is thank you for all the people who have been coming in for those interviews, those important conversations with me. I've done about 77, shooting for 100 by the end of August. So find that schedule, write your name down or call the church office. The other thing is the online schedule. And our goal is 170. That online schedule or survey will stay open until uh, August 15th, but, and we'll have a survey says report on September 18th. So we will see how we, um, how we think as a collective group. And so I encourage you to do that. And the last thing this morning before I get started is I want to say thank you for all the people who have um gave me birthday cards. Somebody must have let that out that my birthday was on Monday. And I just wanted to share one with you that I, I got kind of a little chuckle uh, about because it came from uh, Wilma and Bruce. And I've heard a lot about Wilma and Bruce about being great readers and just welcoming people here at WCC over the years. So she sent me a card and it says, it's your birthday, but don't worry. And never dream of asking your age. And um, so it's a plump lady. I, can, I guess I can say a plump lady because I'm plump. And um, and so I was, before I opened up the card, you know, I was just kind of wondering what's coming next. And it says, how much do you weigh? And I got a chuckle out of that thinking, hey, these are the premier greeters of WCC. And what are they asking as people are coming through the door of this church? But I know it's not that, but it was just a little time to chuckle this morning. So we are continuing on in our study in First Peter. I've titled this one back to group one. Um, and group one is described in the scriptures as whoever believes or you who believe. And we are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. I've been kind of talking about some songs, and there's a song that 
a chorus, actually, of a song that was written in 2001 called Ancient Words. And I think these these words, and I'll teach it to you sometime when you're in, in church on Sunday, but it goes, Ancient Words Ever True, Changing Me and Changing You. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. And I think that's a good uh, thought pattern prayer to have as we go to God's word this morning. A bit of recap from last week. First off is that Peter gave these first century Gentile Christians who were being heavily persecuted by the Roman government um, four commands. And the fourth command, which was more horizontal than vertical, was love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And he dove a little deeper into how do we do that? And so he said some things we need to put away. We need to strip off these old dirty garments. And then he said there's something that you need to long for, and that's to crave that pure spiritual milk of the word like a newborn babe. And also last week, we he, he introduces scripture to help identify what they were to do. And so he keeps going back to the Old Testament. And one of the ones he went to was Isaiah 28, 16. And that verse reads, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, a chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It made me think of, wow, that's the gospel. And actually, you could take John 3, 16 and lay it right on top of that verse. Behold, I am laying in Zion. For God so loved the world, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him, that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, shall not perish, but have eternal life. So he's using the Old Testament to explain, and that's all they had at the time explain the gospel, the message of a coming Messiah and that salvation that would come through him. So Peter identifies two groups. Group number one are those whoever believes in him or you who believe. And then he identifies group number two, which are those who do not believe, who reject the cornerstone, who disobey the word. And then in that second group, he identifies two kind of subgroups. There are those in that second group who do not believe um, that tr- kind of trip over Jesus. Uh, they have apathy toward him. It's kind of like whatever, whatever kind of thing. And then there's a second group that has, uh, they're kind of shaking their fist at Jesus. They're antagonistic uh, to Jesus. And, but the, the end result is the same for both of these groups, however you approach Jesus. And so, What's going to happen now is after he's gotten done talking to group two, now he goes back to group one. And that's where we pick up on our scripture passage. So let me read it first in its entirety. Chapter two, uh, verses nine through 12. This is what the word of God says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, 
I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, as always, we thank you so much for your words, these ancient words that are ever true. And we thank you again for the giving of your son, his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming again. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, also for giving your children the Holy Spirit that guide us in your truth. And we pray for that guidance this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's go back to verse 9 which says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. It starts off with, but you. And so he, what he's doing, he's going, he had just got done talking about group two that do not believe. And he's going back to group one, those who believe, as we read in verse seven. And he's puts together these four phrases uh, a chosen people, uh, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. And what he's doing, he's going back to the Old Testament again, and he's pulling these phrases out of Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting at verse 6. I'll point them out as I walk through this, where it says, For you are a people holy, there's one of those words, to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you, there's another word out of all the peoples of the face of the earth, to be his people. So there's the nation's part, his treasured possession. There's that word. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept his oath, swore to your forefathers that he brought you out. So he... He, he brought them out, he called them out of with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from, from the darkness, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And what Peter is doing here is he is telling these first century Gentile Christians um, that he's using the same words that God used when he was talking about the Israelites, the people of God. He's saying, that you also are people of God. And I would say he's probably joining together with what we read last week in Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus told the, the parable of the tenants. When he got to the end of that parable, in verse 43, he said, Jesus speaking, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. And so Peter is saying to the first century Gentile Christians, you now are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people after God's own possession. This relates to you. This is your identity. So chosen race, that means a picked out offspring. A royal priesthood means they're kingly, of the, they're of the king's family and priesthood that that they point people to God or it's pertaining to God, what they do. A holy nation, holy purity, but also 
holy in the sense that there's a, a reverence for the holy, an exciting reverence, and there's a multitude of them, and a people of his own possession. The word possession there means in the hand, but it also means in the hand with the idea that there's preservation. I'm preserving them. So he's saying to them, these first century Gentile Christians, you are a picked out offspring. You are of the king. You point people to God. You have a holiness about you because you reverence the one who is holy. There's a multitude of you, and he is holding you in his hand. Now, why are they picked out like this? And that's where in the scriptures it says um, that. That's a transition there, a transition to what the purpose of you being this chosen race, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So why have we been chosen? So that you may proclaim, meaning to tell out, to declare abroad, to praise, praise who? You're saving God. That's why you were saved, to proclaim your saving God. Now let me show you some more from the Old Testament here about this whole idea that we are saved, we are the people of God, to proclaim him. So chapter 43 of Isaiah, verses 20 and 21, it says, The wild animals honor me, and the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland. So, so God provides water for the animals. And then he says, To drink to my and to give drink to my people, my chosen. So also there, he's saying he provides for the animals, he provides for us. And then it says, the people I formed for myself, that, so there's the transition, here's the purpose, that they may proclaim my praise. So he's created these people, he's picked these people, so that they might praise his name. That's the purpose behind it. Let me give you another one. Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 11, 13 and verse 11. And it starts and it says, For as a belt is bound around a man's waist, so I bound the whole house of Israel and the house of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be, so here's the transition, to be what? To be my people for my renown and praise and honor. So he's bound them together for his renown, his praise, and his honor. And then he tags on to the end of that, but they have not listened. They have not listened. Now let me give you one more from the New Testament. So Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and verses 4 through 6. This might be very familiar verses for you. He says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be, there is the, now we're getting to the purpose station, purpose statement, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance to his pleasure and will to, so there's the transition again, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So we are here. Our salvation was given to us to praise him, to proclaim him. It's not about us. It's about him. So I put down on the question here, um, why do we hesitate to proclaim? Why do we hesitate to do that? Well, is our God too small? I mean, is God too small that we wouldn't 
see how he could maybe use the situation that he has opened up, this door of opportunity for us to say something about him. But but our God is so small that he would not uh, watch over that. Is, is that it? Or could it be um, that we do look at our salvation as just about me? It's very personal and nobody else needs to know about it. But then you realize from the scripture that it isn't all about me. That I've been saved so that I proclaim the excellencies of the one who took me out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is why we have been chosen to do that thing. So let's go to verse 10. Back to our passage of scripture where it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So once, but now, once, but now. And basically, if we're using our terminology that we've thrown on here, you went from group two, those who do not believe, to group one, those who do believe. And if we do a flashback back to chapter one, verse three, it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. There it is. Going from group two, he has caused us to go to group one, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, from the dead. So uh, here's another thing. Um, I keep going back to Paul saying, okay, let's listen to how Paul says it. And so Paul in chapter nine, uh, verse 25 and 26, he will say some of the same words. And actually he's pulling it from, and Peter also, from the book of Hosea, when he says, um, Chapter 9, verse 25, find it, as he says in Hosea, I will call my them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one, and I will. it will happen that in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God, sons of the living God. So Peter sets it up here and says to the first century Christians who are being heavily persecuted, he says, this is now your identity. You once were this, but now you are this. You were in group two, but now you are in group one. And now he's going to move from their identity to the strategy. The strategy um, is going to be reinforcing some of the things he said before, but the strategy of how do we love one another earnestly, fervently from a pure heart. So we go back to our passage. We go to verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. The word is beloved. That word beloved means esteemed or dear or worthy of love. I'm so, at, at, at our home church down in Florida, our pastor, every time he addresses the, uh, the people in the congregation, he uses that word. He says, beloved. And he says it over and over again. He uses this biblical term that, that lets us know that we are worthy of love, that, he, that we are very dear to him. And so Peter is using that to say, these you people are very dear to me. And then he says, I urge you. So I, Peter, urge you, those in group one, to do what? And the word urge there, which probably should stop and say, is not where he's pointing a finger to that at them. The word urge means that he's coming up alongside of them. So I urge you, but as I urge you, I'm coming up alongside of you 
And I'm doing the very same thing that I'm telling you that we both should do together. So I urge you, and then he says, abstain, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Abstains means to hold back. It means to keep off. It means to prevent. It means to hold yourself away from um, the passions of the flesh. Now, he, he's talked about this before. He's bringing it up again. In chapter 1, verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Also, if you go to verse uh, 6 or through 16, and then on to chapter 2, verse 1, he tells us, okay, here are some of the things that you put away. Put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. So the question might come up, well, how do I do that? How do I abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against my soul? How do I do that? Let me give you three F's this morning. In some situations, you need to flee. You need to flee. You need to be like Joseph at Potiphar's house. And, 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 and you need to flee the situation. Sometimes when we come out of a, the darkness into this marvelous light, sometimes we need to flee or we need to distance ourselves from the environment that we were in before. And we need to be put in a different environment. You were in an environment before that, that fed off of sin. And now you need to be in an environment now. You need to flee to this new environment. That, that enriches your soul in God. So sometimes that's what needs to happen. Uh, sometimes you need to look at your food, what you're taking in. We talked about this last Sunday. We need to get rid of the junk food that we've been taking in. And we need to, if we're going to abstain from it, we need to replace it with the pure spiritual milk of the word of God. And then the last F is family. So flee food and family. We do need brothers and sisters in Christ around us. If we're going to abstain from the passions of the flesh, we need brothers and sisters in Christ around us who will speak into our lives the very words of God. And so that's why small groups and that's why um, life groups and, and, and different people that you have built relationships with here in the church that, that hold dearly to the word of God are so needed in your life if you're going to continue to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So that's part of the strategy. And then in verse 12, um, like we said last week, he said, put away this, but then long for this. You, you replace it with something. That's what he does in verse 12. He says, keep your conduct from among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So we go from abstain to keep. And to keep means to have and to hold. He says, keep your conduct. Now, that's a word he's used over and over again. Back to chapter 1, verse 15, when he says, but as he has called you as holy, be holy in all your conduct. Also, verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, uh, conduct your yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He says, I want your conduct, I want your conduct in front of the Gentiles. Now, probably what he means by Gentiles is those who don't believe. So group two, I want you to keep your conduct honorable. The word actually means excellent or beautiful. Keep your conduct beautiful in there. So that, so now this, so that is just like back in verse nine, 
Why have you been saved? So that you can proclaim the excellencies of our God, of our God. Why do I keep my conduct beautiful before the Gentiles? So that, here comes the purpose, that they, now they is group two, who speak against you, speak against you, your group one, as overseers, that they, group two, may see your good deeds. You may see group one's good deeds and, and that's probably the most important word in this passage of scripture, and. If you've got your scripture journal, circle that word, and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter is saying, here's the strategy. I want you to have this conduct in front of group two, those that do not believe. And I want your conduct to be seen through your good deeds. And you are to do these good deeds even while they are speaking against you as evildoers. And they will see that. And if they see that, there will be some of them that will glorify God. Well, how can they glorify God? Well, the only way they can glorify God is go back up to verse 9. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, the only way they can glorify God is they have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what has happened to some of those is that they went from group two to group one, just like you did, just like you did. Here's a here's a great passage um, where Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter five, uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus words in verse 14, when he says, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. There it is. And praise your father in heaven. So on the day of visitation, this is the last phrase. The day of visitation at the last part of this could be first option is the second coming of Christ could be the second coming of Christ. And those first century persecuted Christians, what could be their possible outcome very soon? <laughs> it could be that they are in the presence of the Lord because they have been martyred. Um, but they would possibly see that there might be some of those who called them evildoers who would someday stand beside them at the second coming of Christ and be ones who are glorifying God. Good example of this would be Stephen, Stephen, the first martyr. And as he's being stoned and as he is speaking God's very, Jesus' very words while that's happening, we get that little bit in there that talks about the, the people took off their garments to be able to stone him. And where did they place them? They placed them at the feet of a young man named Saul, we know as Paul. So Saul, Paul, was a witness to Stephen who was a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ right to the end. And, and there will be a day in history, and, and even now in, in the spirit, where Stephen and Saul Paul are standing side by side glorifying God. So that could be one of the options is at the second coming of Christ. Or the second option here is when we talk about the day of visitation, 
is when God visited them. So that there would be, there's a day when God visits us, when he causes us to be born again. And we have a lot of examples of this. Let me give you a few. So in Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, he's the leader of the Jerusalem church, after he had heard from Simon uh, about what was happening among the Gentiles, he said it this way, chapter 15, verse 13. Did I have that right? Verse 14. It says, Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. So he's saying that that God visited the Gentiles in the same way he visited them with saving grace, with saving grace. Uh, one that I love is Acts chapter 16 and verse 14, when Paul is in Philippi. And verse 14, it says, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. What's Paul's message? Paul's message is that there has been a stone laid in Zion by God. It's been rejected by men, but it is chosen and precious. And it is the cornerstone on which everything is laid. Her eyes, her heart was open. She was visited by God to be born again. Um, just looking at Paul's life, let's go back to Acts chapter 9. Here's a great visitation. Chapter 9 starts off by saying, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Um, so he's group two. He went to the high priest and asked for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, meaning the Christians, group one, whether men or women, he might take them to be prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So what's happening here? God is visiting him a day of visitation. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuted. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told, told what you must do. So there's another a day of visitation when Saul was visited on the road to Damascus. And we know from his testimony, they went from group two, those who do not believe, to group one, those who do believe. And then let me give you one more because I love, really like this one. It's the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up the sycamore tree. And just that encounter as Jesus is coming along in verse 5 of chapter 19 of Luke, it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, this is his day of visitation. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So, I really get excited about this verse in scripture because I've they were slandered. They're being slandered. And Peter tells them, keep doing good deeds. Keep doing good deeds. And why? So that they see those good deeds. And then and they're gonna glor there's some that will glorify God, but but before that, and it's kind of jumping ahead a little bit here, but in chapter 2, back to our passage, verse 15, it says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, so there's the good deeds, 
you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. There will be some people that will experience the good deeds that group one is doing, those who believe, and they will it will silence them. The word actually means muzzle them. It will muzzle them. It will stop them in their tracks. They will they will wait a minute. That that was not what I expected to hear or to see uh, coming from these people. And so it will silence them. Another group, or maybe the same group, if you go to chapter three, chapter three, verse 16, it says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, so there that is, evildoers, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, so there's your good deeds in Christ, may be put to shame, may be put to shame. Another word for shame is disgrace. So as you're doing these good deeds, there are going to be some that's going to stop them, silence them, muzzle them for a moment kind of thing. But then there are others that are going to, it's going to bring shame upon them. They're, they're going to realize the disgrace. They're going to realize their position. And there's going to be some of them. And then we go back to that beautiful verse, chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercies, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There are some of them that are going to get saved. They're going to go from disgrace to his grace. And because of that, then they, here's the progression, they will glorify God. They will glorify God. They will do, as it says in chapter 2, verse 9, um, that they may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's going to be their, their rally cry. So let me end it with this. Here's another question. Church, um, when we are persecuted, when we are persecuted, will we respond in the same way? Will we respond in the same way so others will go from group two to group one? So when we're persecuted, will we continue on with the strategy that he has given to us to continue to do good works and continue to proclaim the name of the one who brought us out of darkness into light. We need to realize that that's our identity. And our identity in Christ, we need to follow this strategy that he has given to us so that there might be, we might have others, even in glory, if, even if we don't see it until then, even in glory, or maybe somebody spoke harshly against us as Christians, now is standing beside us, giving glory to God. So these are ancient words, and they're ever true. And they're changing me, and they're changing you. We have come with open hearts. Hopefully that is so. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words this morning. We thank you for um, the identity that we have in you. We thank you, Lord, um, for the instruction that's given to us that this salvation isn't just about us. It's really about you and that we would be about proclaiming the one um, who took us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Lord, that we would adopt this strategy, that we would grab hold of it, 
with both hands that we need to abstain from the passions of the flesh. We need to put things in, in place so that we do not do those things anymore. And we need to conduct ourselves in such a way, in a beautiful way, that even if we're slandered, even if we're spoken of as evil doers, that we don't, we don't return with the same actions. But rather we, we return with what your scripture says here, doing good deeds, good works, so that there will be some of them that will see it, they'll be silenced by it, they'll be shamed by it, Hopefully some of those then will turn to you and be saved. They will be saved because they their eyes have been opened. They've gone from group two, those who do not believe, to group one, those who do believe. So Lord, guide us to be those type of people, your people, following your strategy that you are given here. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day. Never fails, will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. Same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out, and yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will. Lift your name, yes I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy for all my days, oh yes I will. Count on one thing, same God who's never failed. Will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. And yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy for all my days. Oh, yes, I will not choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. Let nothing can stand against and not choose to praise. Nothing can stand against, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley, yes, I will bless your name, yes, I will sing for 
joy when my heart is heavy for all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will.